Hello, hello, and welcome to the show. You're listening to the We Podcast, and I'm your host, Sarah Menares. I believe that we all need a space to speak our authentic truth, as well as a space to hear the truths of real and vulnerable people so that we can better understand that we are not alone. Hearing the experiences of others encourages us to step into the light in our own lives. It is through owning our stories and learning to speak our truth that we are able to grow and rise above the challenges we face and step into the full power of all we were created to be. You will hear many topics discussed in this space with people from all over the world. We hope that you feel welcomed into a community of growth and that this space will invite you to uncover the absolute greatness that is already inside of you. Oh, and don't forget, check out all the We Podcast episodes as well as the We Spot blog over at thewespot.com. Are you ready? Let's dive in. listening to episode number 52, Things People Don't Talk About, Relationship Issues. This is episode two of the Things People Don't Talk About series. This round, we tackle the topic of relationship issues and why people don't talk about it when their marriage or partnership is struggling. We also talk about common areas of conflict in relationships. We get into topics like infidelity, finances, pornography, expectations, and taking care of our own happiness. I also have to say a little heads up, obviously, with topics like these, you won't want to be listening with little ears around. We hope you enjoy this episode, and if you have any ideas about a topic you'd like for us to cover, send us a message on Facebook or over at thewespot at gmail.com. We would love to hear your ideas. All right, here we go. Let's dive in. Welcome to this episode of the We Podcast. This is the things people don't talk about, and this is the second episode in this series, and it's very exciting. We have been on the edge of our seats, excited to record another episode of this for you. We had some issues picking what we were going to talk about today because there's so many awesome things to dive into that people don't talk about. (laughs) So today I I have Heather Williams, Danny Hughes, and Christina Schnellman here with me. And if you didn't listen to the first episode in this series, we talked about shame, success, and sex. And it was an awesome one. But today, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about marriage and relationship issues. So if you haven't met Heather, Danny, and Christina, you will in this episode. We are all on here together. So hopefully you can differentiate our voices. We're all going to chime in and speak our pieces. I'll start us off in saying that I really feel like marriage and relationship issues is something that is totally off the table for most people to talk about for lots of different reasons, both personally and professionally in seeing couples. This is something that... I think couples guard like crazy. 
Because for some reason, if anybody knows you're having problems, if anybody knows you fight or you've struggled at all, then it means essentially that you don't have a good relationship. I'd love to hear your thoughts on why you don't think people are able to approach this topic. I think there's a bunch of different factors. One of them is I think people carry shame and they carry comparison and they think if they're having relational issues that they must be the only ones and that there must be something wrong with them that they can't figure it out on their own. Mm -hmm. So there's that. And then there's also, I think, sometimes a protective piece. I see this with friends and couples. They think that you know, talking to someone about their issues in their relationship is like putting their partner in a bad light and they don't want people to have a bad opinion of their partner or think bad things about their partner, take sides. Those are my first two thoughts. (laughs) I have tons, but I won't hijack the whole conversation, but those are two things that I think kind of big reasons people don't talk about it. Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, I agree, Danny. I was actually, the first thought that came to my mind was that second topic that you brought up about mm-hmm. how you don't want people to judge or not like your partner or your spouse. Mm-hmm. And so once you put that out there to them, you have no control over the opinion they form and it's just easier not to talk about it. Mm-hmm. I think it's also, it's embarrassing. Right? Yeah. At least, you know, in relationships I've had, or even with friends, if I've had a friend who has had a partner or spouse, they fight a lot. It's embarrassing. Like you said, Danny, it's shameful or it feels shameful, even though the reality is, is all of us have problems, right? Mm-hmm. But with a marriage, I think oftentimes it's, it's never, it's not usually just one side, right? Like we have a part in that too. And I think we know that in some instances, we know that it's not just the other person's fault. And so it's sometimes hard to admit it's not a hundred percent their fault. Sometimes it's hard to admit that we have that type of relationship and that's what's going on because we know there's a piece of it that we may need to own. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That we have faults also. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it's, it's blatant when you're in a marriage. Sometimes it like smacks me dead in the face. I'm like, oh man, that was totally me. Like, mm-hmm. dang it. Mm-hmm. Um, I totally just did that with my husband this last week. I had a need, I guess, or something bothered me and instead of being vulnerable and I'm a therapist, <laughs> but I didn't want to own my part. And so I totally got right into just blame game really. And they pointed the finger and picked a fight <laughs> mm-hmm. and I didn't want to own my part. Mm-hmm. And I had to do that at some point because, you know, part of it was me. Mm-hmm. 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 A thought just came to to my mind, I think for my specific scenario in my marriage, it was hard for me to talk about the struggles because it made some of it more real too. Mm. So I was trying to ignore or avoid Mm -hmm. some of the issues because talking about it, then you're like putting it out there and you can't avoid it. Mm. Totally. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you're just not ready to face it, right? You're just on survival mode. My first marriage, the entire time I was just trying to survive and I could not bring up the hard issues. And I don't think either of us could really work through anything truly because there was just so much damage control for 
me just safety wise, just feeling safe in that intimate relationship, which I did not. And so there was no way I was going to even ever get to that level where we could have those hard conversations and work through them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's a huge huge, huge factor. And probably something that we need to say from the beginning, there's such a thing as healthy conflict. And there's such a thing as, you know, needing conflict. I think you said, Christina, it's inevitable. We all have issues in our relationships, but there's something that puts it into a different category. If the other person is not able to have safe, healthy conflict Mm -hmm. with us. And so I want to be clear We're not talking domestic violence or anything like that just from the get-go. When we're referring to conflict and fighting all throughout this episode to make sure to know where does it cross the line? Do you know what I mean? And that's definitely not something that we're ever referring to being okay. So just get that out of the way. That's a good point. So overall, conflict is normal. It's healthy to disagree and have disagreements. And I feel like, I guess, especially with marriages and committed relationships, I feel like people are afraid that disagreeing means conflict. And I don't think it always does. There's going to be disagreements and conflict. Well, and maybe, I don't know, I feel like I see it all the same. But whether or not it's healthy, positive conflict or whether it's destructive, hurtful conflict. I mean, I think it can be either one. Personally, I think it's just different levels, different severity of conflict. Because to me, having a little argument about where we're going to eat is, con- it feels like conflict to me. Don't mess with food choices. <laughs> yeah, don't do that. <laughs> That's interesting, Sarah. I wonder, I think that brings up a a good point, how you're raised and what happens in your home growing up affects tremendously your marriage and how you handle conflict. So for me growing up, my parents fought all the time. And what I mean by fight is they yelled and they screamed at each other, get the top of their lungs. And that happened on a daily basis. And so like, I'm a little bit, I'm with Danny. If Kyle and I have a disagreement and we disagree on something, I see that very differently than having conflict because conflict to me is almost very verbally aggressive. I guess that's where it's just the difference in like how we were raised maybe with our exposure to different things growing up. If your parents were maybe quieter and they fought behind closed doors or, you know, didn't do that in front of you, that then you might approach it or feel differently about what conflict or disagreements are. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, I would agree with that for my own personal self. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my parents yelled and screamed at each other also. I still feel like it's all conflict. (laughs) (laughs) To me, think about, and maybe it is like what rouses within yourself. Do you know what I mean? And to me, I see conflict as disagreeing, as like rocking the boat, whatever that means on whatever level that is. It's a friction against each other. You're not going in the same direction. Like there's a disruption in what's happening. And, And to me, that's conflict. I don't think it has to be 
negative at all. The neuroscience geek part of me is, hmm, I wonder if that is when you are dysregulated, your body's dysregulated, if that feels like conflict. Hmm, maybe. Hmm. Which would be a whole nother podcast, but. (laughs) (laughs) And and I would be sitting like this through the podcast, like. Uh, I, I have no idea what she's saying. <laughs> layman's terms? Can we have some layman's terms here? Well, like when you're in what Sarah's describing as conflict and you're, I guess if we could all imagine in a moment where our body kind of starts having a reaction, when that part of the reptilian part of the brain is what kind of comes online and takes over where we have the fight, flight, freeze, fall asleep response, mm-hmm. that feels like conflict mm-hmm. to some yeah. people. Mm-hmm. Maybe everyone, I don't know. No, that makes sense. So then learning how to identify what is this and how do we go from there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, how do you respond to it? Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah, because couples, you know, I see couples who come in and they are dysregulated and they do see it as conflict and some want to this fight, you know. <laughs> some are able to have other responses, but that's definitely conflict. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I know I have disagreements, I guess. I would call disagreements with Jason probably pretty often and I don't see them as conflict, but also my body's not aroused. I know I'm safe. We're able to have a very calm conversation about it. So it doesn't feel dysregulating to me. And then there are times where it does feel like conflict to me and my body, my senses go up and I have more of the visceral responses. And to me, that feels like conflict. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And those are the moments that I don't always want to talk about with other people, (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, it might be helpful. I was thinking about this when we mentioned talking about marriage, it might be helpful to maybe make our audience feel not so alone. Like what are the common things you guys maybe argue or have conflict about in your marriages or in your relationships? Mm Mm-hmm. Christina's bringing out the big guns. <laughs> she just opened. Well, I just feel like if we gotta open up this topic, I, yeah. I feel like we can't talk about it on the surface. Like we've gotta dig in and really talk about. It's hard, I think, because there's times where I've felt like the troubles I've had in my marriage or relationship is not at all what anybody else around me has experienced, mm-hmm. and when you, you know, you open up that little bit and then your friend can be like, oh yeah, that totally happened to me. And I'm like, really? And Mm -hmm. I would have never known it, you know? So I kind of feel like, like this is like the perfect opportunity, right? So I'll go first. (laughs) Um, So for me, pornography, really sexually intimate things, because of my background as a child and things that happened in the home, Um, That was a real pressing issue for me. I felt very hurt by any indication that that might be going on or that he needed to do that. I felt like it made me feel not worthy or that I wasn't good enough or pretty enough or skinny enough or uh, sexy enough. I've since then worked through a lot of that, but at the beginning, that was conflict for me. And like Danny said, it was a very physical response when it came up for me. And I think a lot of women won't mention that because maybe they're afraid Mm -hmm. that their friends don't have that issue or their friends are confident and it doesn't bother them and they feel embarrassed that it bothers them. For years, I I remember not wanting to confide in any of my friends that that was an issue because I felt like it was because I wasn't confident in myself. 
And that may in fact have been true, but I think there were also a lot of abuse elements from my past trauma that really triggered that and fueled that. But I have a feeling that there's probably other women out there that struggled with that same thing in their relationships. I'm so glad you brought that up, Christina, because that is such a huge issue in so many people's relationships. Porn addiction or porn use and the effect it has on the brain of the person using it and the relationship and the, the other partner is so huge. And it's definitely not talked about. And it is definitely a subject that needs to be talked about. I think so. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about it for years, so I feel more comfortable now talking about it than I ever have. That's super brave of you. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I completely, completely agree. And girl, you like put it out in the middle of the table from the get-go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love it. I don't, I think it's definitely something that needs to be talked about. And one of the biggest things that is I think probably holds the most shame in relationships for sure. I think it holds a close, I don't even, I don't know if I would say second, it's maybe even tied with infidelity. Mm -hmm. The amount of shame and secrecy that goes into that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What about finances? I always thought finances or money was one of the top ones. Mm Mm-hmm. I think one of the top things that people don't want to talk about to other people about something going mm -hmm. on in their marriage, it's like right up there with infidelity. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. Finances was a big shame point of topic or discussion for me in my marriage because that was used as an element of control, I think. And I was this powerful, successful person, but I had no control over my money. And so there was a, I didn't talk about it. So for me personally, that was one of my biggest marriage secrets, I guess, Hmm. or marriage struggles that I didn't share. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a plethora of issues that we deal with. I mean, we could go through the issues I deal with in my own marriage, but also the themes of things that occur in seeing couples in therapy. And I think infidelity, pornography, I agree, Danny, are like, I would say the most, I don't want to categorize like the most damaging, but I would I guess maybe it's the harder, the the ones that are harder to recover from, almost like there's a deeper sense of betrayal there Mm -hmm. with those two, that they're hard. They're hard to work through. They're hard to come back from. I personally believe pornography is an addiction and you can't just do it for fun. I do not support pornography. I think it encourages sex trafficking and all of the things that like makes me sweaty to think about it, like pisses me off. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Even just talking about it, like I have an emotional reaction. So to bring that into your marriage, it's freaking hard. What about couples that use it together? Like Mm. they want to use it together. There's so much research out there that shows that the percentage of women who are in pornography videos are trafficked. They're being sex trafficked. It's, it's happening against their will. And the statistics on that are just out of control. There are really no women, or it's a very, 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 very small percentage of women who are doing it because they really want to be. So 
I think, I think those women say that, but there's significant trauma behind them and they're truly disconnected from what is putting them in that situation. Totally. But I think, Heather, I'm wondering if your question is, is it a problem if both parties in the couple are utilizing porn? Was that, was that your question mm-hmm. or just, yeah. Are yeah. there, because it's, so far it's been presented as a very black and white topic, but I also know of people that experience that together and choose to do it together willingly. Mm-hmm. I think that's definitely a gray area. I think that there's still research that kind of supports that it's not great for your brain and people have physical responses to it sexually because we're human beings, but I don't, they would be too, like you said, black and white to just make a blanket statement. I, I know that in couples where one person has uses it and it is a problem and it, if there's a problem for one person in the, in the partnership, it's a problem. Yep. I agree with that. Mm-hmm. So when you, since we have two therapists here, I'm just curious, when you've had a client who has had infidelity or these issues, what helps them to get through it? Or the couples you have seen get through infidelity, what, what have you seen has helped them to get through it? What component, if any? Or do you just normally not even see them work it out? I mean, clearly there are people who end up working it out. Mm-hmm. I think in infidelity, I've had clients who have come out stronger after it's happened than they were before. I think it's it's definitely possible to work through it as long as you have two people who are willing to work through it. Mm-hmm. As long as you have whoever was the person who was unfaithful is remorseful. They actually want to address the issues that have encouraged that behavior. I think there are two very different camps. And I've seen couples where the person who's been unfaithful turns it around on the other person, blames it on the other person, says things like, well, you weren't, you know, giving me sex enough or um, it's your fault because you've been withholding from me or gosh, that's a whole nother issue <laughs> that we're dealing with, you know, but if we have two people willing to show up and willing to be vulnerable and willing to work through and try and understand what got them to where they are and what changes they need to make, then man, I've seen amazing things happen. So I think the most important thing is the willingness to take a look at yourself and to take responsibility no matter what the actions are. Mm-hmm. Danny, do you want to add? <laughs> no, I mean, I agree. Yeah, there's a lot to it. There's a lot to repair. I think that's the other thing. Couples will come in, have a history of infidelity or a long history of infidelity or infidelity on both sides, and they come to therapy and they go, you know, to a handful of sessions and think that it's going to be better and that it's fixed. And when there's such a significant rupture in a relationship, whether it be infidelity or something else, some kind of betrayal, it takes a lot of work and a lot of time doing that work to repair it and rebuild. And I believe what Sarah said and agree that it can be better and stronger on the other side, but it's not a quick fix. You don't can't read a book and go to five therapy sessions and think it's going to be better. Like it's a lot. Mm-hmm. 
and even more so if there's a significant history there. It's like it's the ultimate breach of trust. Mm -hmm. And so to get that trust back, it's definitely a process. It takes a lot of work. There's a lot that goes into that for sure. Mm -hmm. And I guess since for the sake of our listeners, we should also kind of say that, you know, infidelity comes in many forms and it doesn't just mean sex. Mm -hmm. Um, Emotional affairs exist and they sometimes are even more painful for the other partner. So infidelity is not quote unquote, just having sex with another person. Right. There's a lot more to it than that. I wanted to be clear about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And not to keep going back to pornography. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not trying to be black and white, but <laughs> maybe I am being I think that, like you said a little bit ago, Danny, pornography is can be a more acceptable way of having an affair mm-hmm. in, in a sense. I mean, I think that acceptable culture, to the person doing it, not to the other exactly. party. Yes. Yeah. Our culture says it's fine. It's mm-hmm. there's nothing wrong with it. That's a lot easier to turn around and say, this is normal. You shouldn't have a problem with it. Get over it. Then it is actually having a relationship with a real life person. But what happens in there in in your brain in both situations are pretty much the same. I mean, that's why people get addicted to pornography is they think the person in the video actually loves them, cares about them wants them. There's a really skewed sense of reality there. So our culture though normalizes it. And I've definitely seen it be just as hurtful as being in an actual relationship with somebody else. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the addiction piece or the, well, there's several components to it where I think it's an addiction. And there are some therapists that would disagree. But in addition to the changes that it makes in the person's brain, oftentimes in a situation in a partnership where there's pornography going along and and it's not consensual on both parties, Heather, there's a lot of secrecy from the partner who's using porn. And so that I think where the sense of betrayal comes from, in addition to all the other things that you mentioned earlier, Christina, like feeling inadequate, not thin enough, not pretty enough, not, not maybe even adventurous enough because, you know, there's things that are going on in these porn videos that, you know, you may not be willing to do, I may not be willing to do. And this beautiful person is willing to do it. So, you know, what does that say about me? So there's just so much to it that also, you know, back to the secrecy and the sense of betrayal, a lot of that goes on along with porn use and relationships where it's not consensual with both parties. This gives me like a really, really big physical response. I feel super sick to my stomach. So I'm just going to come out and say it because this is just how I'm getting rid of things. My first husband, it was exactly that. Like he had a porn addiction and it affected me in a tremendous way. And I felt very unsafe and inadequate and all those things. But what happened is, is it it's never sufficient. It was never sufficient enough for him, right? Like him hiding and doing that at night when I would go to bed, you know, he would band-aid it. Like we would have a fight. He would band-aid it. He would be good for a while. But the fact that he wasn't willing to cope with it and, you know, us to work on it together, it just kept getting worse and worse and worse 
until he put me in a very compromising position and, you know, essentially recorded us in intimate moments without me knowing it. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that's what people don't realize is, you know, if you have a spouse or even if you feel like you struggle with pornography, it's never sufficient, right? Like what you're feeding to it never, it eventually becomes like it's not enough. And I think at the end of the day, for me, I had to decide that I could just couldn't keep going down that path with him because it just kept getting deeper and deeper and deeper. And it was terrifying, to be quite honest. It was a very, very terrifying feeling. Like I just to feel that vulnerable and, and he betrayed me in a lot of ways, right? Just with that it felt like cheating to me. And I always thought that that was just because of how I was raised, you know, in a very religious home and that wasn't right. But I think that the element of him hiding it, Danny, like you said, is what really, really, really hit so hard for me. That's what hurt the most is that he would go that far to hide it from me and then go that far to hide from me recording our intimate session. Oh, that is hard, right? I, but I think a lot of women have been through it, but they w- wouldn't want to say it mm-hmm. because it's just so damaging to your confidence as a woman. Mm-hmm. Thank you for sharing that with us, Christina. Mm. I'm speechless. Gosh, that is so hard. And I think that by speaking that there are so many women who are probably listening who can relate to you mm-hmm. that have never been able to speak it before. Mm-hmm. You know, I think I'm sure I just kept thinking like I was doing something wrong. Right. And I think it wasn't until it got to that most damaging moment that it dawned on me that this wasn't about me. It really wasn't about me. It wasn't ever, it wasn't because I wasn't pretty enough, smart enough, sexy enough. It wasn't that I wasn't being a dutiful wife. It wasn't about me. And it took it getting to that point for me to realize that. I wish I, you know, part of me wishes I had realized that a little sooner so that wound wasn't so deep, you know? I think that's such a common response though. I mean, I think it's such a common response. There's something wrong with me. And so therefore that's why this is happening. Yeah. I mean, I know on a much smaller scale, I remember early in Nick and I's relationship and he had all of these friends who had sent him these text messages mm-hmm. that were so freaking inappropriate and naked pictures of ladies just from guy friends. And I'm, what in the hell is going on? Like, why is this okay? This is not okay. And being so hurt by it, so hurt and so devastated by it. And even in that scenario, thinking like, well, what's wrong with me? Why can't he look at me or I'm right here? Or why does he have to look at those pictures? Or why doesn't he tell those guys not to do that or not to send those to him or whatever? You know what I mean? I think so many women go to that place automatically. Mm-hmm. 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 It's easy to. Mm-hmm. It's very easy to. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. we compare ourselves to other women all the time. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Physically, look at her hair mm-hmm. or look at her body. Look how flat her stomach is. I don't have that or, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. yeah. I have the Look mom. how big her boobs are. I don't have any boobs. <laughs> <laughs> Heather, I just want to ask you what's going on for you because I feel like you're just... I'm just trying to honor Christina and listen to her story and give her the space to tell it. Mm. I'm sorry that you experienced that. Thank you, friend. 
Mm. I appreciate that. I don't share that with very many people, but now I just shared it with the world. So (laughs) you are truly a path paver. Mm-hmm. You just you just uh, made who knows how many people, women, I think maybe even men, if there's any listening, mm-hmm. who've gone through this. Uh, mm-hmm. Unfortunately and fortunately, feel more normal and like mm-hmm. not alone. I know. I just want to hug you through this mm-hmm. video. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thank you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, just hopefully, to recover from that. Well, yeah, yeah, it took years. <laughs> I mean, that's been a long time ago, but I hopefully it is helpful for someone, you know, and even maybe for a spouse who struggles with pornography, maybe it gives them some insight on what that feels like on the other side. You know, Mm -hmm. I don't think he realized how damaging it was to me. You know, I don't think it was intentional on his part, to be honest. So the men that I've seen in counseling who come in with porn struggles in their marriages, definitely it's not intentional, the ones I've seen anyway. And they also do carry a lot of shame around it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that I can, can say that for sure. Yeah. And a lot of them don't even understand what it's doing to their brain. They don't understand the addiction piece and they don't, and this is a kind of a fun fact, quote unquote, a lot of men go to the doctors for erectile dysfunction and often turns out they have a porn addiction and they have found that when they stop the porn, they stop having erectile dysfunction. But that's what ends up getting them off the porn is they stop having an erection or getting an erection and holding an erection. And then they go to the doctors thinking something's wrong or wanting, you know, Viagra or something. I can see that. Just learned something new. (laughs) I took a sex addictions class in grad school and we spent a lot of time on porn. Mm -hmm. Read several books on it and Mm -hmm. the videos. Yeah. Uh, It's a real thing, but okay, here's another thing. So I'm going to totally flip the script here. Okay. (laughs) So what about, this is something that women don't talk about, obviously, or men for that matter. I mean, obviously when there's these types of issues in their relationship, we can safely say pornography and fidelity are pretty off the table in, in most cases. But what about other, what about healthy sexual practices? <laughs> you mean how we don't talking, talk about it? Not yeah. talking about it in your marriage or with, with other people or what? I think in marriage too, between partners, but anybody for that matter. I know we talked about this a lot, a little in our first episode, so we won't get too far into it, but I do think that it's a relationship, a piece of a re- of relationships that doesn't also get talked about. And I think Heather, you said in the very first episode, not even between partners. Right. Well, in the beginning, you don't have to talk about it. Your bodies are just taking over, right? Mm-hmm. But but you're making a lot of assumptions too, because you're just humping like rabbits. <laughs> and then <laughs> that phase wears off. It's like, oh, I probably should have told him in the beginning that I didn't like that. I could pretend. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe you liked it in the beginning and then you stopped liking it. <laughs> yeah. Well, and he thought you really enjoyed it. So oh, yeah. Doing it, busting that same move out every time. And you're like, that's actually really terrible. And I, I don't want to do that again. <laughs> yes. Sex is, I think, definitely something that can be hard for couples to talk about. 
for sure. Yeah. <laughs> I think a lot of times when people go into a relationship, they, they don't necessarily even know their own bodies, let alone how to tell somebody else, you know, what, where they're at with things or what's working and what's not. So I guess that ties me back to the last podcast episode, why, why I feel so strongly about having open, candid conversation with my daughters too, um, because the more comfortable I feel like we are with ourselves and with our friends talking about that stuff, then the easier it is to talk about it with our primary partner. I mean, it's incredibly vulnerable to do it, but you definitely benefit from it if you do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> pushing the right button instead of the wrong button. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just think good or bad, people don't talk about sex in their relationships and outside of their relationships. I think, I guess we'll go with friends, just, just from conversations I've had with friends over the years and even stuff that's come up for me, my own self, I think there's a level of comparison and like, I don't want to say how much or how little we're having sex, because what does that say about our relationship? If we're Mm. doing it all the time, does my husband have an addiction, sex addiction problem? If it's every day, twice a day, and you know, we're doing that, or if we've gone six months without it, what does that say? Does that say we have a bad relationship, a bad marriage? I, yeah, just from conversations I've had with girlfriends over the years, they, I think comparison and shame kind of pops up, even if it's good and like they feel on track. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They don't want to come across as bragging. Oh, well, we do it like rabbits, (laughs) like (laughs) Heather said, you know, Mm -hmm. and then I'm over here talking about how we haven't had sex in a month and they're like, oh, well, sorry. (laughs) And I'm like embarrassed to say that, you know. Mm -hmm. It's true. Something you said earlier made me think about one of the number one things that I see in couples, and I'm going to zone in on women here, uh, one of the biggest issues. And I know I personally get caught in doing it myself too. Like I can totally get sucked into this, but I would say the biggest thing that women do, even when it comes to sex, is assuming that if he loves me cares about me, he'll know what I want Mm. and he'll do what I want. And I shouldn't have to tell him. He should just read my mind. That is so common. So common. (laughs) That's common in the couples I see even way outside of sex. They just think, yeah, totally. Yeah. I, it was the sex talk that made me think of it though. When you oh. guys were talking about not saying what you like, but there's this, it's not only that, it's like this underlying thing of, well, if he really knows me, if he really loves me, if he really cares about me, mm-hmm. then he should know what I like. Mm-hmm but it's never ever been communicated. I think this is the biggest problem in the bedroom. It's the biggest problem with finances. It's the biggest problem with every problem Mm -hmm. in marriage. So many people do this. Sometimes men also. All the men that I see in therapy do this too. Really? Yes. It's, they don't speak their needs. They don't even know what their needs are, not just sexually, emotionally, well, especially see, I, emotionally. Yeah, but I see the difference in men and women. And men, a lot of times, just don't even know their needs. Like, they're much more <laughs> simplistic. <laughs> and women, like, calculate. Yeah, that's true. If he does true. this, then that means he loves me. Mm-hmm. If he does that then I'm valuable. You know what I mean? Women calculate it in a completely and totally different way than men do. I think. I think we do that with a lot of things. Like Yeah, I agree. Gift giving. Yeah. Like, with like what they should be getting you for 
your birthday or Christmas. Mm -hmm. I think we do that a lot. When I'm really out of balance and hurting, I can definitely see that come up in, not just in my primary relationship either, but even with my family and friends. Yeah. Um, it's like I'm setting myself up for failure because I'm putting this unspoken expectation out there that people will be able to read into, you know, where I'm at with things. And then when they get it wrong or they miss the mark, then I'm not lovable. And that's definitely something that I don't know how much that played into my marriage um, that I'm no longer in, but it's definitely been a pattern in my life, I think, mm-hmm. for sure. Mm-hmm. Less with the sex, more with everything else. More with- <laughs> For me, (laughs) for me, it's more like if there was a disconnect in a conversation and the other person doesn't pick up on that and they don't say anything about it, that definitely is sending me the message that they're not really loving me in that moment because they have zero clue that there was even a disconnect there in the first place or like for my birthday. And I know that this has been a common talking point that we've had on the, on social media. Sarah, I think you've mentioned it recently and I think we just had a blog article about it. I've recently started taking my birthday into my own hand because before I was like waiting for somebody to get, you know, hit the mark and the mark wasn't being hit. So now I choose how to honor my birthday and buy myself flowers, plan my, plan my dinner out with friends or whatever that is, instead of waiting for somebody else to do it for me. Mm-hmm. You know, Heather, I have that same thing around my birthday. I, every year would feel disappointed mm-hmm. and I'd be like, really a freaking pair of socks? Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. and and I'm like, would it would make me feel like I wasn't mm-hmm. valuable? But I I've done the same thing in recent, like where I've just decided, you know what, this is my birthday, and I should decide how I'm going to spend it. And I've even talked about next year, I want to take a trip. Mm-hmm. Heck yeah, girl, life isn't waiting for us. Mm-hmm. Like that's kind of where I'm at. And it's taken me into my late thirties and turning 40 to really get here. Like I'm loving myself the way I've always needed everybody else to love me. And I'm happier than I've ever been. And when people don't get it right, it doesn't hurt me the same way that it used to. And it's a process and I don't get it right all the time, but Um, I have that awareness there and I am putting in that effort and I'm loving other people more intentionally now too, trying to be more mindful and getting little gifts and doing those little things that make me feel love because I also love giving as well. And so I think through that journey of learning how to love myself and celebrate myself, it's helping me to be more mindful with loving other people too. Mm -hmm. Mm, that's pivotal. I mean, part of my waking up was surrounding my birthday and it's a huge part of my story. And I did write a blog article for NoCo Moms blog that hasn't been published yet, but it's huge. It's so huge. It is so huge. It's such a representation too of how we either carry our own value or we allow other people to hold it and to carry it and do as they wish with it, which is bullshit, really. I mean, it's never going to turn out well. And I think that's what I finally figured out. This is never going to turn out well. (laughs) We're going to get socks every year. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) I I feel that way around Mother's Day. Like there was one particular Mother's Day where it was the day it was like 11 or 12. And he's like, well, I got to get to the store and get you, you know, you get to get the kids and get you a Mother's Day gift. And I was like, fuck that. Mm. No, 
I don't want a token card and token flowers and token, you know, purse or whatever you happen to grab off the shelf. That does not tell me anything other than here's a box I need to check and it's a date on the calendar. I would rather have nothing <laughs> mm-hmm. than a friggin' token gift. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like- I used to hate those Hallmarky type holidays because it was the primary time when I would receive affection mm-hmm. and intimacy, not not sex, intimacy in my marriage. The poems, I would get handwritten poems and breakfast in bed and all of those things. And it was like this glimpse into the potential mm-hmm. love that I only got because it was a day on the calendar. And I hated celebrating those holidays. And I thought I just hated those holidays, but I don't actually hate them anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, It was just because of the dynamic that it created in my relationship and made me feel like I was waiting for those days to happen because those were the days that I got the love that I, that I needed or that I wanted. Yeah. Mm -hmm. When you say that, I'm thinking this is a vulnerable moment for me and it sounds going to sound silly, but part of why I probably, I don't like the token gifts you know, is because I do feel like my husband's pretty good at showing me he loves me throughout the year in like little ways. I need to probably tell him this out loud, actually. I don't think I have in a while, but most mornings he makes the coffee and he gets my coffee cup out and a spoon and just like it's on the counter and it's huge. So I would rather have my coffee cup near the coffee pot on a Tuesday morning than token flowers from the store on Mother's Day. Mm -hmm. And I've been wanting to like post a picture and say something about that on Facebook about how he does this for me. And it makes me feel so loved. And where I was going with this story is that I don't because I feel like people, because we we do have a pretty solid marriage and we've worked really hard to get here. And our marriage hasn't always been, it's had some really rocky times, but I know that other people have had such struggles in their marriage or might be going through some struggles. And so I tend to kind of not post stuff like that because I hold, I don't want to talk about it in a way because I don't want to come across like I'm bragging or that, you know, we have this perfect, we don't have a perfect life. Yeah. But I think, I think the flip side of that, Danny, is it gives somebody else the opportunity to that see that to recognize those little moments too. Somebody that may be focused on some, you know, big thing that's really heavy for them. They might be forgetting those little moments of joy that they do have in their relationship and it might help them shift that perspective. So I think I get where you're coming from, but I also know the value in myself when I see stuff like that. And it's like, oh yeah, I just forgot about that. And it helps me to tap back into gratitude. Hmm. Mm-hmm. It's helpful to hear you say that because since we're talking about things we don't talk about, <laughs> yeah. you know, it, that's one of the things that I don't talk about. I think it goes back to our first episode and it's like intertwined with the success piece like, yeah, and, and not wanting to make people feel bad by the things that you have or, you know, I think when you were talking about that, it made me think about though a huge shift within me in my relationship with Nick. This is all so fresh on my mind because I'm talking about it in detail in my book. <laughs> <laughs> was when I went from the shift of this is how you have to love me in order to be loved to this is how you love me and I can recognize it 
-hmm. and I can then receive it as love rather than trying to mold him and make him fit into what I thought love should look like or what I thought love should be. And when we're in that place, we don't see the spoon in the cup on on the counter. Mm -hmm. That's exactly it. Yeah. Yeah. So it's huge. And I agree with Heather. Like that's a great example of helping people to maybe recenter themselves back in, in their relationship and say, what does he do for me? Mm-hmm. That's him. Mm-hmm. Now, not all the ways that Nick loves me are my ideal. <laughs> <laughs> right. We're so human. <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah. And I want to note too that I still have those moments and think back to, I couldn't see those things in my Mm -hmm. marriage. I had gotten to that place where I couldn't see those things. And now that I'm out of it, and we're both thriving independently of each other. Now I'm able to see those moments and give gratitude for them because they were there. Those spoons on the counter and the coffee cup were there and I just wasn't seeing them towards the end. And so whether it's a current relationship or a past relationship, I think there's still value in seeing the positive, beautiful, simple moments in each other's lives. And not everybody is going to see that, Danny, and receive it well, but you don't own that. They do. And you shouldn't not post those things or share those things. Well, thank you. Mm-hmm. Amen. And I didn't mean to take away from your story. I hope I didn't. If I did, I'm sorry, Heather. You did not. <laughs> you guys are so nice. <laughs> <laughs> You're so sweet. Like to think of that. Oh my gosh. On the flip side, total flip side of this, because there's two sides to every coin also, I think. And there's the gratitude, there's the meeting your your person where they are and appreciating where they are. And I think there's also sometimes in certain relationships, the need to set requirements essentially Mm -hmm. boundaries. I require that I am respected. I require that you don't forget about my birthday and act (laughs) like it never happened. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like I think for women and some men too, but women in general, we can get too passive too. We can get sucked into the Oh, well, I just don't, I I mean, I just need to be grateful for all the things and then don't have requirements. So I think we need to have, have both. Mm -hmm. Mm, I recently went through this big time. I've been married for what, 11 years? It'll be 11 years. I can't, I lost count. 12, it'll be 12 years this September. But I became that person that was walking on eggshells, wanting to make sure that in no way did I inconvenience my husband, that I did things just to make sure he was happy when he got home because he works a very stressful job. And and I got sick of it. I think you all probably remember because I was a hot mess at the retreat. The women's Mm -hmm. retreat, right? But Kyle and I were just talking about this the other night. I I had to learn to set a huge boundary with him. I'm not responsible for his happiness. That's not on me. That's on him. And Mm -hmm. do I want him to be happy? Of course. I'm his spouse. I'm a kind person. I want him to be, I want him to be happy, but that's not on me. And so I set that boundary. It was very hard. It had to be set multiple times and reset. And the other night he looked at me and he was like, you know, I was just thinking the other night, how much of a sacrifice you've made to be home with our children. And what, you know, that's a sacrifice that honestly would have been so, so difficult for me to make. And now is your time 
to do what fuels you. And you've supported me through my business journey. And now it's your time to shine and you can do whatever you want. Like you, you can do it. And you know what? Our family is going to thrive when you do because of who you are. And I know it's what you need. And I was like, who is this man? (laughs) For a second, because it just, there was a period of time there where it was very hard. I was squashing so much of who I was and I just had done that for so long and wanted to please everyone for so long that I didn't even know what I wanted anymore. Mm-hmm. That reminds me of that saying, we teach people how to treat us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He did that boundary from you. He didn't know what he didn't know. No, he didn't know it. And honestly, that was on me, right? I'm the mm-hmm. one who tiptoed. I'm the one who, although, you know, was probably fueled by his temperament at times, but how awesome, you know, to go through that and then be on this side of it where I feel like we're moving past it in in such a big and healthy way. There was a period of time there that I was really worried that we would not though. And I think we don't talk about that as women in our Mm -hmm. relationships and maybe even with our close friends, we don't mention it. Mm Yeah. Yeah. I still, I, we, a couple of our rocky patches, one in particular, I fully have to own and I do in my marriage, uh, but I don't talk about it with anybody really Mm -hmm. other than my husband and our therapist at the time. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I have so much to own. We don't even have time for it. (laughs) Right? Oh, me too. I'm just thinking of significant (laughs) ruptures in my marriage. No, I know. Yeah. (laughs) But most of it usually comes down to me assuming he's going to feel a certain way (laughs) or same exact thing as you, Christina, wanting to be, I get martyr syndrome. Oh, oh, yes. It's so freaking hard to get out of that. I totally want to be hit responsible for all of his stuff that he is his responsibility and but I don't too that's the thing right you know what I mean resentful right yeah I was very resentful I mean Mm -hmm. yeah I I could not like Heather was saying I could not see the little things Mm -hmm. for a while there yeah it's a conversation that has to happen and here's I know for me in my relationship personally when that happened I mean Nick wasn't super excited about it Like, it's not like, you know, like you said at first, I mean, it's not like it's something that's easy where all of a sudden, oh, you're so right. You know, that conversation doesn't happen right out of the gates because you essentially change the rules of the game. And that is hard. And it, it, that creates conflict. It rocks the boat. It, it changes everything up. It creates conflict in the system that always has been. And so, and sometimes those boats go separate ways too. Sometimes they don't, and sometimes they do. Great point. That's okay. Mm -hmm. You want to elaborate? Well, just for me, it meant two separate boats. The most loving thing in my personal situation was to get on my own boat. Mm -hmm. And it certainly didn't look that way at first. um, And it didn't feel that way. And there were temptations for me to turn the boat around and go back and hop on that comfortable boat, but it wasn't the right thing to do. And it wasn't the loving thing to do. And yeah, just putting that out there that it's sometimes that is the best and healthiest thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's different for everybody. Mm -hmm. And it's something we need to be able to talk through with our people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
And sometimes you need to get on that other boat and paddle as fast as you fucking can. (laughs) (laughs) Away. Yes. Yeah. That's true too. It's true. It is. Mm -hmm. I wasn't expecting that. That that threw me (laughs) off guard a little bit. (laughs) That's good. <laughs> it was used in the right context. Oh, totally. No, it no. wasn't at someone. <laughs> right. No, no. And I was thinking, no, you know, Drew it. already broke us in. So All right. Thank you, Drew. Thank you, Drew. <laughs> I didn't even Drew. think his F bombs were yeah, that many. So no. She might have well, some of them. Now we have an explicit podcast, so it doesn't matter anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah, no, totally, totally true. I love it. So I wish, I I mean, I feel like there's so much more to talk about. Maybe we need to do episode (laughs) 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 2.5. Because our relationships are so huge in our lives and there are so many different ways that we can disagree or have conflict or hardships that we face. And I feel like we just barely scratched the surface. I mean, we talked about a few things that were amazing. If the listeners have anything that they feel like, if you feel like you're listening, you feel like, I really wish that they would talk about this or I really wish they would address this thing, please, please, please reach out to us and let us know that because we would love to talk about it. And sometimes we need some direction because it's easy to go down these (laughs) rabbit holes. (laughs) But I think we really would love to hear your feedback and and your thoughts. So you can send it in a private message. If you want to keep it anonymous, we promise we won't tell. We won't say your name on air. Mm -hmm. But... Unless you want us to. Mm-hmm. True. Yeah. So any final thoughts to wrap us up on why people don't talk about their marriage or their relationships and maybe a tip to help them in moving forward and opening up more conversation with their safe people in this area? My tip is talk about it with safe people, but don't talk about it just to complain. Don't stay stuck. So if you're struggling with something and it's weighing heavy on your heart, you know who your people are and share your heart and then take action. Mm, So good. Yeah. Don't just be the like person who's just bitching. Mm. Life's too short. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Totally. I would say you're really down if you are in that place where you can't see the small things, you can't see any of the good, my advice to you would be just to be kind to yourself, to take care of yourself, to do some small things for you yourself every day if you can, if you like to practice yoga, if meditation has been good for you, just be present for yourself in trying to sort through it. If that's the place you're in in your relationship, just take the time to listen and do some some nice things for yourself some self-love will go a long way mm-hmm. so my tip probably won't surprise anybody but <laughs> I would say if you're in a relationship and it is not going well don't wait until it's on its last thread before you reach out for professional help 
The average couple waits, I think, three to seven years or something crazy like that when they're in distress and crisis even, and their marriage has gotten to the point where it's pretty much fallen apart before they reach out and get help from a professional, and you don't need to suffer that long. And things oftentimes are repairable, and sometimes you just need a little help along the way getting a few tools, and that's what marriage counselors are there for. So there's no shame in getting marriage counseling. I get marriage counseling, and it was helpful. I guess that's the other thing. You can talk about going to therapy as a couple. There's nothing to be embarrassed about that. It means you're investing in your relationship, and that's something to be proud of, actually. Mm -hmm. Can I just say ditto to all of you? Yes. (laughs) So good. I so agree. The only thing that I would add is do your own work. Yeah. I I think so often we point the finger and we say it's all the other person when actually the focus needs to be on ourselves and doing our own work, doing our own growth, having our own awareness and getting to the place and having the ability to love on ourselves, that in and of itself tremendously affects our relationships. Mm -hmm. So thank you ladies for being here today. I just love you. So we will be having another episode very soon. Anything you want to say to close us out? Just thanks for listening. We're super thankful for you. Woohoo. Peace. All right, my friends, what an awesome interview. We absolutely believe in the power of our stories, and we are so very grateful to our guests who have the courage to speak their truth and share their heart, experiences, and light with all of us. If you want more of the WE podcast, make sure you head over to thewespot.com where you can find all of our episodes as well as the WeSpot blog. The We Spot is your go-to spot for growth, connection, authenticity, and encouragement. You can also find us on social media. Head over to the We Spot Facebook and Instagram pages and get plugged in. You can also find me, Sarah Moneras, on my personal Facebook and Instagram pages as well. If you love the We Podcast, we would be thrilled for you to rate the podcast and write us a review. We want as many people as possible to be lifted up in growth and get connected with our community. Also, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on new episodes dropping every single week. We can't wait to see you over on social media. Thank you for being here today. It means a lot to us. Remember, your story makes you who you are. Speak your truth, grow constantly, rise above, and always know you are not on this journey alone. See you next time.